Welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast of Hill Country Bible Church, Georgetown. The podcast bringing you biblical messages that encourage you to put Christ at the center of everyday life. We're here to help you engage in the local church and to invite you into a life that matters through Jesus. If you have any questions about your next step, visit us online at hillcountry.life. And now for today's message. You know, people's awareness of what the Bible actually says is not exactly headed in the right direction in our day. For instance, if you were to ask the average person, what was the forbidden fruit in the Garden of Eden that Adam and Eve ate, what do you think the most common answer would be? Apple, right. Most people would say that. The Bible actually doesn't say. It just says fruit. And if you were to ask how many wise men there were, the top answer would be three, but that's not what the Bible says. We know there were three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, but we don't know how many wise men there were. My mother, who used to scour our guest bathroom every day, even though we didn't have guests, Okay, she loved the saying, cleanliness is next to godliness. Also not in the Bible. <laughs> so the Gallup Poll organization did this survey, fascinating survey that they did. And, and quite a number of people thought that the epistles were the wives of the apostles. Okay? <laughs> so, so, some people thought that Jesus' most famous talk, the Sermon on the Mount, was called that because it was delivered on horseback. Right? Others thought Noah was definitely married to Joan of Arc, okay? Not in the Bible. And so we're launching into this new series called I Didn't Say That, and it's all about these ideas or sayings or thoughts that somehow get attributed to God but aren't in the Bible. God didn't say them. And the reason we're doing this is because I think quite often these wrong ideas that we get about God and his will and his character and the way he works, they lead to stumbling blocks in our ability to really know him well love him well, and trust him well. A lot of people think the Bible says, God will never give you more than you can handle. And so because of that, they think being a Christian means life should always be manageable, but the Bible really doesn't say that. And so as a result, the fact that the Bible doesn't say that, people get confused and they're wondering, well, why, why are these things happening to me? And for a lot of people, things happen in life that they absolutely can't handle. They need to depend on God to be able to handle those things. You know, a lot of people say that the Bible says money is the root of all evil, but that's not what the Bible says. It's a little different than that. And because of that, they'll then assume, well, God must be anti-money. Or if you have financial gifts or the ability to produce wealth, maybe you're not really deeply spiritual. So there are all these different sayings that we're going to explore in this series. And throughout this series, what we're going to get to do is we're going to get to know God a little better. So hopefully our faith in him will get stronger, our love for him will grow, grow deeper, and then ultimately, maybe we'll be able to obey him a little more joyfully, a little more naturally. Now the statement that we're going to look at today, uh, to kick off this whole series, is perhaps the errant quote most often attributed to God that's really not in the Bible. And it's something that I heard hundreds of times growing up from my dad. It goes like this, God helps those who help themselves. How many of you have heard that before? God helps those who help themselves. You know, my dad wasn't a believer at the time, but he was convinced that was in the Bible. I actually know a pastor who got into an argument with his aunt over this particular saying. And finally, the pastor just said, look, Aunt Nita, I'm a professional. Trust me, it's not in the Bible. But Aunt Nita knew it was in there, so she placed a rather sizable bet with this pastor and stayed up until 1 o'clock in the morning looking for a verse that's not there. 
Well, the next day she tried to get out of paying that bet by saying, the Bible says you shouldn't gamble. <laughs> Pastor says, oh, really? How'd you like to go double or nothing? <laughs> that pastor walked away with a whole bunch of money from Aunt Nita. <laughs> you gotta love that. Okay, so this saying, God helps those who help themselves, it actually goes back to one of Aesop's fables. In this fable, a man is driving his wagon, his wagon gets stuck in the mud, he hops out, gets down on his knees, and prays to the gods to help him free his wagon. And as the story goes, Hercules then appears to this man and tells him, get off of your knees and put your shoulder to the wheel. And so Aesop says the moral of the story is the gods help those who help themselves. So that saying goes way back, but it's not in the Bible. Now, it is certainly true that God does not call us to be passive. He's given each and every one of us a mind and a body and a will. He expects us to take initiative, to be responsible. Those are good things. But faith in God does not mean that we get a free pass from studying for tests or needing to exercise to be healthy or showing up for work on time and with a good attitude. God will generally not do for you what he enables you to do yourself. But the biggest problem areas in our lives are precisely in those areas where we cannot help ourselves. And then we find this strange hesitancy, this reluctancy to ask for help, don't we? See, asking for help, it kind of offends my pride. Asking for help makes me feel small, makes me feel incompetent. A great danger, and we've all been there, is that if I don't ask for help, what starts out as a problem will become a crisis. What starts out as, you know, just perhaps in your life overspending, it turns into, it ends up in debt and shame. Or what starts out as perhaps just this inability to resolve conflict, kind of this pattern of unresolved conflict, ends up in divorce. You know, what starts out as a bad habit ends up in addiction, you know, a problem with, with flirtation turns into an affair. A problem with eating turns into excess weight gain or health issues. A problem with procrastination turns into unemployment. A problem with sarcasm turns into a life where nobody wants to be my friend. And here's the truth about me. I need help. That's a deep truth. And let me tell you a little secret about you. You need help too. In fact, you might say that to someone on your way out of church today. Just turn to them and say, you need help. That'll go real well. You know, amazingly enough, from a human perspective, the story of God's people and their great adventure begins with this single word, help. Back when the Israelites were in bondage to the Egyptians, this is what the Bible says. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. See, God didn't say, hey, get yourselves organized. I show some initiative. Put your shoulder to the wheel because I help people who help themselves. No, God just helped. And who does God help? Well, God helps people who ask for help. God helps people who ask for help. God helps people who are weak. God helps people who are needy. God helps people who are scared. God helps people who are in way over their heads. God helps people who can't help themselves. Now, to be clear, God helps other people too. I mean, God loves to help so much, sometimes he just shows up and gives help for no reason whatsoever. Jesus said one of the signature characteristics of his father is that he causes the sun to shine on good people and bad people alike. He sends rain for the just and the unjust. 
One of the descriptives often used in the Bible to describe God is the word help. Oh God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come. Mostly, being the kind of person God helps means being the kind of person who is willing to pray, who is actually devoted to prayer. God helps those who pray because those who pray are asking for help. They're looking for help. They're hoping for help. They're trusting that God will help. And what we're really called to in the Bible, rather than self-help, God helps those who help themselves, is a life of prayer, a heart of prayer, an attitude of prayer. And if you've been around our church for a while, you know that that's what we're all about here. We say that we are imperfect people learning to do life with God. That's the key statement. We are imperfect people learning to do life with a perfect God so that we can experience life in all its fullness. Now, what does it mean to do life with God? Well, that means including God in every morning, every meeting, every decision, every meal, every relationship, every conversation. In short, doing life with God every moment of every day. Now, I don't know where you stand on this whole prayer deal. Now, maybe you've been disappointed by prayer. Maybe at some point in time you have cried out to God for something that really, really mattered to you and nothing happened. Maybe you feel guilty about prayer. Now, I know a lot of people who put prayer in this category of, well, it's something I know I need to do more of, but I just don't seem to find the time, and I feel guilty. And so I kind of put it aside, and then, then it just gets worse. Maybe you're confused about prayer. Maybe prayer is confusing because you hear other people talk about these amazing answers to prayer or, or feeling this deep sense of intimacy with God when they pray. But when you pray, it's just like your mind starts to wander and you're thinking about grocery shopping or an old television show or wonton soup at Shanghai Express, right? Mm, yeah. Anyhow, so maybe... Just maybe if you're honest, and this is a good place to be honest, right, church? Honesty. Maybe you don't believe in prayer. Not, not really. Maybe the whole idea of praying to some invisible supernatural being doesn't make any sense to you. Or you think prayer, it's not going to change anything. I mean, God knows what God's going to do, so what difference does it make? Now, on the flip side, I don't know, maybe for you, prayer is like the great joy of your heart. Right? Maybe you've known secret moments of peace in times of trouble. Maybe you've known moments of courage in times when otherwise you would have had great distress and fear. Or, or maybe you've experienced times of strength and, and wisdom with decisions where normally you would have made a terrible choice. And you can't even put into words how grateful you are for those moments of prayer. I don't know where you stand on this whole prayer deal. But there's a great story in the Old Testament where God teaches us about the power of prayer. Let me set this up for you. The Israelites have just been delivered from bondage to the Egyptians after they cried out for help. And so they're in the desert, and they are on their way to the promised land. But then out of the blue, they get attacked by a group of people called the Amalekites. And suddenly, their whole existence, their whole calling to be this blessed nation who's a blessing to the whole world, that's in jeopardy. They don't know why. And so Moses, he calls his number two man, Joshua, in for a little strategy session. Now, Moses was the only man in Israel who had been raised in Pharaoh's court, which meant he would have had military training. He would have been schooled in military strategy. So Joshua is probably expecting this great battle plan, but we're not told anything like that. Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow, I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. That's it. Now, I'm not sure what Joshua thought about this plan. 
if I were Joshua going into a strategy session, I think I would have expected a little more strategy. I would have expected that our leader, Moses, would be right down there with us fighting the battle. Moses has other plans. So as morning dawns, Moses climbs up this hill with his brother and another man by the name of Hur. Hur was the son of one of the leaders known as Caleb. You may have heard of Caleb. And many scholars believe that word her means liberty. That would be very relevant to a story about liberated slaves. But when I first read that little name, her, it sounded to me kind of like something out of an Abbott and Costello who's on first routine. Know what I'm talking about? Hey, Aaron, get her to come with. Wait, you want her? I thought you wanted him. Well, I do want him. Who's him? I just told you, her, right? Anyway, I digress. (laughs) The older people in here will get that, right? The younger generation. (laughs) So Aaron and her, they go up with Moses. And Moses needs these two guys because there's something that's going to happen up there. So they walk up this hill. And Moses, what he does is he lifts his hands toward heaven, toward God. And this is really amazing because we're not told a single word that Moses prays. In fact, if you look at the text, the word prayer isn't even there. Now, you got to understand, there there were no books about prayer back in those days. The first books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, they they weren't even written at that point in time. So we don't know. Maybe Moses felt like a lot of people reluctant to pray out loud in public. Earlier, we're told he said he was slow of tongue, slow of speech. Maybe Maybe there were absolutely no audible sounds coming from Moses. Or maybe he felt awkward or silly or useless with all those men fighting down there. But people, this is really important. Prayer is not about coming up with impressive sounding words. It's about the heart. It's mainly about the one we pray to. What we pray matters much less than who we're praying to. This is a simple act of the will expressed by his body. Help. Help. An amazing thing happens. Help comes. Power comes. Power from God. Power to win the battle here on earth. It's like all of a sudden this electrical current begins to move within and then out and beyond Moses, and the men start fighting like inspired warriors. They can't be stopped. They can't be defeated. A bunch of ex-slaves. It's amazing. But then Moses gets weary. His arms get tired, and he has to lower his arms. And when those arms come down, suddenly something happens to the spirit of the troops, and they begin to lose the battle. So Moses, again, reaches his hands back up. And sure enough, the tide turns. Israel begins to prevail. And suddenly it dawns on Moses and and maybe Aaron and her and Joshua that when Moses' hands are lifted up, power is getting released. And all of a sudden, that battle is not merely a matter of human flesh and blood. There's some other power. There's some other force. There is an unseen reality in the battle. See, God is giving his people a physical picture of a deeper spiritual reality. You and I are not meant to live in our own strength. You and I were created to depend upon God. And over the years, that particular discovery, it goes deeper and deeper. It gets elaborated on over and over and over again in the Bible, especially with Jesus. And it spreads to all people, even to today. An alcoholic by the name of Bill W. struggles with alcoholism. But he lives in stubborn pride year after year after year. His battle is with this bottle, and the bottle is killing him. And finally, he just hits rock bottom. He realizes he's hopeless. And as the story goes, Bill reaches his hands up to the sky and just says, help. If you're out there, help. And all of a sudden, that battle for sobriety that he could never win on his own 
begins to turn. As long as he and, and millions of others live one day at a time with their arms stretched out saying, help me, God. Help me. I can't do this. I can't do it. My life is unmanageable. I have an enemy I cannot defeat on my own. Help me. And through that surrender, hear me on this, through the surrender comes the victory. And folks, this is the invitation for you and I today. In your work, in your home, in your relationships, in your addiction maybe, or with your diagnosis, or in your confusion, or in your loss, or in your fear. There is a battle going on. Make no mistake about it. Everybody you see is facing a battle. And we're not meant to do the battle alone. Now, what will keep me from asking for help is generally pride, self-sufficiency, stubbornness. You know, when Wendy and I first got married, one of us was way more emotionally immature and relationally challenged than they even realized and worse, this person was too proud, too stubborn to admit they needed help. And so I tried to figure out a way to tell her that it was me. <laughs> hey, all folks need help. And let me tell you, the first step to healing is always very, very humbling. It's to honestly come to grips with the fact I need help and I can't help myself. And over the years, Wendy's come to the same realization. Throughout our marriage, we've sought human counselors, and we always go to our divine counselor as well. And by the way, very often, God chooses human means to give divine help. And I've had to learn to lift those hands up in prayer. I'm still learning that. Boy, I need God every moment of every day. Now, there are, I think, two great truths that we need to get embedded in our minds. And if we can get these two great truths in our head, they'll help us to more readily lift our arms up in prayer to ask for God's help. And I kind of see these two truths as two arms being lifted up. All right, I want you to write these down. The first one is this. God is able. Our God is able. How able? Well, the Bible writers say that he is exceedingly able. I mean, just think about God. Think about his works. Think about what he's done. God was able to speak the universe into being, to say, let there be light, and boom, there was light. God was able to send plagues that would change a Pharaoh's heart. God was able, when the Red Sea needed to be parted, to part those waters so Israel could go across on dry land. God was able to send manna, food from heaven, to provide for his people. God was able to rescue Daniel from the lion's den. When a storm threatened the lives of his disciples, God was able to calm it. God was able to make a priest silent, able to make a donkey speak, able to make the lame walk, able to make the blind see, able to make a leper clean, able to make a dead man live. Paul says God is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. Boy, that verse right there, that is a loaded verse, isn't it? I mean, God is able to do what we ask. And not just that, God is able to do all that we ask. Oh, and not just that, God is able to do more than all we ask. And not just that, God is able to do more than all we ask or imagine. And not just that, God is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. Wow, how able is God? Exceedingly able. And his arms have lost none of their strength. God is able, and I have to, have to, have to, have to trust that, at least enough to turn to him. Second, God is willing. Okay, our God can be a very strong being, but if he doesn't have a caring heart, 
If he doesn't have a listening ear, I'm not going to hold up my hands to heaven all day. God is not just able, he's willing. He's willing to hear, willing to notice, willing to love, willing to act. How willing? Very willing. According to the writers of Scripture, God is willing to count every hair on your head. He's got them all numbered. For some of you, it's easier than others. I get that. God, says in the Bible, is willing to keep all your tears in a bottle. God is willing to hear the groans of his people and respond. Willing enough to suffer like a heartsick father waiting for a prodigal son to come home. Willing enough to become like us. Wow. In Jesus, God became flesh. Think about this. What that means is that God then firsthand got knowledge of what it is to need help. When Jesus was a little boy, he would have said to Mary, help, help me, mommy. It's one of the first words that a child learns to say, help me get dressed, help me eat. How amazing that God would humble himself in Jesus, the maker of the universe, asking for help to tie the laces of his sandals. Oh, and if parents get old enough, things change, don't they? And then the parent has to ask the child for help. Help me to get dressed. Help me to eat. See, we are born needing help and we die needing help. Oh, in between, we can pretend that we don't need help. (laughs) All it takes is a little age, right? Or a little health problem, a little blood vessel that doesn't work just right. Or a little email from work saying that job is no longer ours. And suddenly, we remember that word, help. In the end, God in the flesh, Jesus, needed help to carry the cross. Remember that? A man named Simon from Serene had to carry that cross for him. The story of Jesus ends as it begins with a God who somehow knows what it is to need help, to be weak, to be unable. That is our God. And he is so willing. He has such a generous heart. Hear me, people. God, he's not frustrated God is not impatient. God is not weak. God is not disinterested. Maybe God is oh so willing, but we're just not asking. Think about that. James said this, you do not have because you do not ask. I've thought about this verse so much lately. This may be the number one problem we have in the church today. You don't have because you don't ask. You're not including me in each and every moment of your day. You're not doing life with me. God is waiting right now. So where do you most need help? I want you to really think about this because we're going to lift this up to God in prayer in just a few minutes. Where do you most need help in your life right now? God, give me strength to face this crisis. Maybe it's God, give me wisdom to, to know how to parent. Or God, give me peace in the midst of this storm. God, give me the ability to overcome this anger, this resentment, this bitterness I have. Or or God, take away my fear. It's killing me, and I don't know what to do with it. God, help me to be able to cope with this situation at at work here. Or, Or God, give me patience in the midst of this problem. God, I haven't had joy for years and years and years. Our God is able, and our God is willing. And here's the clincher. God helps those who cannot help themselves. God helps those who can't help themselves. You know, maybe like Moses, you also need somebody to come alongside of you. Maybe your arms are getting kind of tired. There have been times in my life when I've been so deeply burdened, I've said to a friend, I don't even know what to pray right now. 
I am so down. I don't know what to say or do. Would you just pray for me? Would you stand in the gap for me? They've said, yeah, I'll do that for you, Brian. And then they become like Aaron for me, like her for me. Boy, those are sacred moments. We get to do that for each other. You know, this story paints an amazing picture. There's a battle going on, and it looks like it's being carried out in human flesh, but the real battle's not going on down on the field. The real battle is happening up on the mountain with Moses. And Moses gets weary, he gets tired, and so he calls a couple of friends to come alongside of him and lift up those hands that don't have the strength to hold themselves up. And somehow, in the midst of that weakness, in the midst of that neediness, God's power gets unleashed in a way it never would through human strength or ego. That's us. That's the reality we're living in. So maybe you need to ask somebody, would you be my Aaron? Would you be my her? Would you hold up my hands because they're tired right now? Would you support me in prayer because my heart's breaking? And I want to ask all of us, every man, every woman here in this room, put aside any self-sufficiency, any stubbornness, any resistance, any pride. Just lift those hands to heaven because God is able and God is willing. And in just a moment now, we're going to ask God, we're going to pray to God for help. And so if you would, close your eyes and just bow your heads with me. And I want to ask that every one of us, if you can, just lift your hands up in the air. A physical expression here, like this story. We're going to ask God for the help that only he can give because God helps those who cannot help themselves. What is it for you? Where do you need help the most? Would you trust that God loves you? More than you can imagine. He is able. He is willing. So whatever it is in the quietness of your heart, just silently utter that prayer to God. Where do you most need help? you to trust this morning that God has seen your outstretched arms. He's able and he's willing. He loves you. And he wants you to trust him. And my encouragement to you is don't stop praying about this today. When your arms come down in a few seconds here, don't quit. Keep lifting those arms daily until you see the battle turn. In Jesus' name.